My name is Becky Brown. I work in the Oxford Hero Centre with Jarm and Julian, um, mostly on topics to do with uh, health promotion and the ethics, these kind of public health ethical issues that arise. And I, um, I'm going to say a little bit today about responsibility um, in the context of this question about kind of uh, allocation of medical resources and, and treatment. Um, so, to kick off, what might treatment allocation based on responsibility involve? I think roughly this is the idea that we can distinguish between people who have played some kind of a role in becoming sick through their choices or behaviour, um, and people who, who, whose choices and behaviour haven't contributed to their sickness in any way. We don't think that they had any control over their illness. So think of paradigmatic cases where people's illness is entirely due to some kind of inherited genetic condition. Um, <clears throat> and further, uh, incorporating responsibility into judgments about treatment allocation would assume that um, those people who had some <coughs> role in becoming sick bear responsibilities that should influence the kind of treatment that they get. Uh, and that should be in some way less um, they should be deprioritised for treatment in comparison to those individuals who didn't bear any responsibility um, for, their, for becoming sick. So how does this kind of an idea, how does this thought fit with um, healthcare systems like the NHS? So the NHS, which um, I believe turned 70 in two weeks, uh, had three guiding principles when it was established. So the first being that it would meet the needs of everyone, Second, that it should be free at the point of delivery. And the third, that treatment be based on clinical need and not ability to pay. So this tracks something like the idea that health and access to healthcare um, is so important that it should just be provided to everyone as a matter of kind of basic justice. And that the state is an, uh, under an obligation to ensure that that happens. There are also um, likely to be other political and economic benefits to ensuring that um, all people receive some kind of minimum level of healthcare. And these principles look like they kind of rule out any possibility of including um, something like dessert. So dessert is the word that philosophers tend to use to refer to whether or not someone deserves a particular kind of treatment. Um, I mean treatment broadly, not a medical treatment necessarily. Um, so, so these principles seem to rule out the possibility for dessert to play a role in determining what healthcare someone receives. But we can contrast this kind of an attitude, this kind of an approach to um, allocation and responses to different individuals with the, the attitude that we have in almost all other areas of life, where responsibility and desert are really commonplace and they regulate all of our, um, or most of our personal relationships and other kinds of distributive questions around resources. So this would include things like the criminal justice system, where common justification for punishment would be that it's deserved alongside things like deterrence and prevention. It would include the context of employment, where we tend to think that the best qualified candidate deserves the job and deserves to be paid for it. And things like educational achievement. So we aim to reward those who work hard and excel, believing that they deserve good grades. So in the context of health promotion, which is what I'm really interested in, healthcare is increasingly interacting more and more with these other areas of life, um, where we ordinarily think of responsibility and desert as having an appropriate role to play. 
So this is because of the increasing focus on so-called lifestyle-related disease. So non-communicable diseases, which are linked to behaviours like diet, physical activity, smoking and alcohol consumption. These diseases are responsible for about 70% of deaths globally, globally, and numerous World Health Organisation member states have pledged to reduce premature mortality from chronic diseases by a third by 2030. So this is this huge challenge that's currently being faced globally. So a big focus of the efforts to address this challenge has been on educating people about the dangers of behavioural risk factors, so diet, physical activity, the kinds of things that I mentioned, and encouraging them to take responsibility for their health by adopting healthier lifestyles. And we can see that the language of agenda-setting documents emerging from um, organisations like the Department of Health in the UK reflect these kinds of aims. So I've got a few quotes that I've taken from the, the first ones from the NHS Constitution for England, saying, um, uh, you must recognise that you can make a significant contribution to your own and your family's good health and well-being and take personal responsibility for it. Uh, the second one from the five-year forward five-year forward view from the NHS leadership lays out plans for establishing preventative measures to tackle chronic disease, asserting that there is broad consensus on what the future needs to be. It is a future that empowers patients to take more control over their own care and treatment. And then this final one is from um, Public Health England, uh, which describes how behavioural risk factors reflect the choices that we all make. And it's only this very last statement that's... Um, kind of followed by an acknowledgement that choices are shaped by the social circumstances of our lives, such as employment, education, housing, income and relationships. And it's this point that has been the main kickback against the desire to include responsibility um, in considerations of what kind of treatment should be provided to who. So those who are sceptical of using responsibility in this way um, tend to think that the, the evidence around the social determinants of health um, and related research suggests that many factors outside individual control play a really important role in health-related behaviour and subsequent health. This creates a social gradient in health where people subject to more social deprivation suffer poorer health outcomes than people who are subject to less social deprivation. And it's claimed that if the causes of unhealthy behaviour and subsequent health primarily environmental and outside individual control, then it's not fair to hold people responsible for, those, for that behaviour. So um, we might think that kind of settles things, but it's not clear that it's quite so straightforward. So lots of our behaviour is subject to this kind of an environmental influence. And concluding that that renders us kind of non-responsible in some way for that behaviour would have much wider implications for how we see ourselves in relation to a whole variety of things, our achievements, um, other behaviours that we engage in, our personal identity, these kinds of things. So it might even force us to rethink the role responsibility plays in the kinds of areas I mentioned as unproblematically including responsibility, so criminal justice, employment, um, educational achievement. There's something else to bear in mind. So even if we think that someone was responsible for her behaviour, it doesn't necessarily follow that she should be blamed or punished as a result. So whilst we might want to say that a person who overeats, or who doesn't exercise, who smokes and drinks heavily, isn't completely free from responsibility for those activities, insofar as she wasn't kind of coerced into performing them, 
we might still think that there are um, mitigating factors which suggest she lacked sufficient control to be considered fully responsible. So we might think of kind of degrees of responsibility in this context. If the consequences, sorry, so what does it mean um, to, to have this question mark over responsibility? So for a start, it might mean that a person, um, although somewhat responsible, shouldn't be considered blameworthy for her illness. Allocating treatment based on responsibility seems to assume that people are blameworthy in some kind of a way, and that that is what justifies holding them responsible. So having different approaches to treatment allocation might be justified by the idea that they were responsible for those behaviours and therefore they're blameworthy. So we can treat them less well than individuals who weren't responsible. So if the consequences of holding people responsible for their illness was um, very trivial, then we might not need to worry too much about this kind of an approach to healthcare allocation. But I think um, that, that, that in some circumstances, the consequences could really be quite serious. So at one end of the spectrum, we have things like um, sin taxes that get discussed, and some of which are in operation. So things like the sugar tax, um, or taxes on cigarettes or alcohol, where unhealthy behaviour is penalised in this way. Um, but at the other end of the, of the spectrum, we have suggestions that arise every now and then that people whose behaviour has directly contributed to their ill health should receive a lower priority for treatment, or they should be denied certain sorts of treatment, or they should have to pay some or all of the costs of their treatment. Now, there aren't very many examples of the latter kind of responsabilising or blaming policies in operation, um, or at least there aren't many that explicitly point to responsibility or blameworthiness in treating certain groups differently. Much of the way in which responsibility seems to be incorporated into health promotion policy and healthcare is through the kinds of um, empowering choice supporting uh, channels that, that kind of arise in these quotes, um, encouraging people to take personal responsibility or empowering patients, those kinds of things. <clears throat> but I think that even this can result in harsh treatment for those who are deemed to fail to take responsibility for their health. So I mentioned that lots of health promotion operates through campaigns to raise awareness using educational strategies and information provision. To, um, to inform people about the harm to their health of, of certain behaviours. Um, and through this, these kinds of activities, we get clear messages that to be healthy is to be good, to be virtuous, to be attractive, and to be unhealthy is bad, um, sinful and ugly. I think this becomes uh, uh, vividly illustrated by the kinds of imagery that we regularly see, smiling women, with salads uh, on one side of things, um, clearly in prime health, uh, and this contrasted with the headless fatties that we see reliably accompanying any, um, any article in the press that has anything to do with obesity. And this seeps, is not just in um, kind of common popular domains as well, this kind of comes out in health promotion materials as well, so we see the same kinds of stigmatising moralising um, imagery. <clears throat> so to sum up, I think that we should acknowledge that people might bear at least some responsibility for their behaviour and their health. To do otherwise 
um, seems completely contrary to very ordinary intuitions that we have about our behaviour, um, but also recognise that structural and environmental factors have a significant influence. Responsibility doesn't mean that it's appropriate to blame people for poor health that they suffer as a result of their, um, of their lifestyles, nor, nor that, it, um, that we should preferentially direct healthcare to people whose lifestyle didn't contribute to their health. And we also need to be aware of how the use of these kind of seemingly benign forms of responsibility, so empowerment, promoting healthy choices, that kind of language, and general awareness raising can contribute to um, a system where uh, these kinds of moralising and stigmatising imagery become commonplace. Thanks very much.